and welcome back to Youth Group Radio. Right now we are continuing our study, going through the Gospel of John, looking at the life of Jesus. And today we find ourselves at the beginning of John chapter 7. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the festival of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Let's pray. I have been crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, let that be central to my belief, to our life today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me tell you a story. When I was a child, I used to play this game by myself at night. It wasn't really much of a game, but maybe more of an experience. And I would call it homeless. And now, maybe that might sound insensitive, but as a child in my room by myself, I would just wonder about people who didn't have a home. And I wanted to know maybe what it was like for someone... um, to have to spend the night without a bed. So I would uh, get ready for bed, I would turn off the lights, and I would turn on my box fan, and then I would just lay on the ground right in front of it. No blankets, no pillows, nothing. And it was already cold in my house. And I would just lay there, and I would try to stay so... I would try to stay warm, but it was so cold. Then I would pretend that I found an extra t-shirt on the road or something, and I would use that t-shirt as my blanket, which made things a little better, but not really. It was still too cold to be comfortable. And this would continue for a while, but eventually I would pretend, (laughs) sounds silly saying, but I would pretend that someone took me off the streets and they let me sleep in my own bed, with my own pillow and my own blanket, and so I would end up crawling into my bed, and my blanket just never felt so warm. My pillow never felt so soft, and my my bed never felt so cozy than in that moment when I, you know, pretended that I got off the streets and I got into my bed. I was so thankful to be in my own bed, and Just so you know, my bed at the time was a three-inch thick mattress on the floor. But I was so thankful for it. 
and I would feel sad and I would feel bad for all the kids out there who didn't have a bed to sleep in. I would play that, quote, game for many years as a child, and it always reminded me of how blessed I was. In Jesus' day, the Jewish people would do something very similar to my little child experience. Every year, tens of thousands of Jewish people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Festival of Booths, also known as the Festival of Shelters or the Festival of Tabernacles. In verse 2 of our passage, it says that they celebrated the Festival of Booths. The Festival of Booths was at hand. The people would make these booths, which were more like kind of makeshift shelters, these makeshift tents, and made out of whatever was around, sticks, rocks, leaves. You're supposed to make a temporary tent for you to live in for the week, rather than living in your home. They would eat, sleep, pray in their shelters. And the purpose of doing this was to remind the people of the time when their ancestors wandered in the wilderness and, and were forced to have to live in these makeshift tents. And they had to, to tear down every 10 days or so, or even just for a couple days, and then they would have to keep on moving. And so it was a humbling experience to remind themselves of just how far their people had come. And in our passage today, it's during this time. It's during the time of the Festival of Tabernacles. And the brothers of Jesus are trying to persuade Jesus to go. But there's a bit of confusion here. Who do Jesus' brothers think he is? And as we say every week, that's the question we're supposed to be asking as we read through the Gospel of John. And we see that many people are, are very quick to give answers to that question all throughout the passages. Next week, we're going to see even more people quickly answering the question of who is Jesus. But right here, we can see that the earthly brothers of Jesus, they must be dealing with that same question of just who is their big brother? Who is this person that they've known their entire lives and all of a sudden things seem to be getting a bit out of hand? Are they being sarcastic to Jesus in this passage when they say, hey, you should go to Jerusalem and show everyone how great you are? Are they being sincere? It seems that his brothers are kind of half-believing and half-not. You know, they see that Jesus is doing remarkable things, but they don't believe in the full sense that John is talking about. To them, Jesus is an incredible miracle worker. They can't deny that after all they have seen and all they have heard. But he's also a troublemaker. And he's not making anything really better. So they tell him, hey, go to Jerusalem. Do your miracles there. So that all the tens of thousands of people traveling there will see you and you can become famous. You see, they don't, they don't quite believe in their brother but they do seem to believe in his signs, which has been a problem throughout this gospel so far. People want the signs, but they don't want Jesus. 
his brothers believed in the signs and they figured that their brother, he, you can get a lot more followers and you can kind of get out of our hair if you just go to the big city and start healing the sick and casting out demons. Maybe you can send a check to mom when you, you know, make it big. But they don't understand. They think that Jesus just wants to become famous and wants to gather up a huge following so that Israel can be free from Rome. His brothers don't realize that Jesus' mission won't be about winning over the crowds with tricks and persuasion. His mission will involve a single, final, decisive action through which Israel and the world will be changed for good. In verse 6, Jesus says, my time has not yet come. That's how he responds to his brothers. He said, it's not my time yet. Jesus is aware of a time which is coming, but hasn't come yet. He could join his brothers on a large convoy down to, down to Jerusalem and get everyone excited on the way as he does his miracles and whatnot. But it wouldn't be right in Jesus' mind. It wouldn't be right for him to travel to Jerusalem with a large convoy healing and teaching as he went, gathering more followers, making people so excited and making them anticipate a great moments of deliverance from Rome. No. It wasn't time yet. Jesus will make a big entry into Jerusalem, but it won't be for the Festival of Booths, which is in autumn where the people remember their struggles in the wilderness. Jesus will make his big entry into Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, which is going to be in spring. Which the Passover celebration is when everyone travels to Jerusalem to remember when the lamb was sacrificed in order to rescue the people from death. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus and declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God, but his time has not yet come. Now look or listen to what Jesus says in verse 7. He says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil, Jesus says. Now, this is interesting. Who hates Jesus? Well, he says the world. And who does Jesus accuse of doing evil? Well, again, he says the world. In verse 1, it says that Jesus would not go into Judea which is where Jerusalem is, and he wouldn't go there because the Jewish leaders were seeking to kill him. Okay, so think about this with me. Up to this point in the Gospel of John, who hates Jesus? We keep on seeing it's, it's the religious leaders. It's the Jewish religious leaders, right? They want to kill Jesus, and I think that's a good um, a way of, of seeing if somebody hates somebody. Yes, they hate him. They want to kill him. Okay, so what about this? Up to this point in the Gospel of John, who has Jesus criticized the most? Uh, once again, it's the Jewish religious leaders. 
He cleanses the temple. He heals on the Sabbath. He tells them that Moses will accuse them. There's a lot. Jesus is constantly criticizing them. So, if these Jewish leaders hate him and hate being criticized by him, think about this. We can see that when Jesus says that the world hates him, this is what he seems to be referring to. This explains, at least in part, what John means by the world. At one level, yes, it means the whole created universe, including all the peoples of the earth. But on another level, it is referring to this deep-rooted attitude that turns away from the loving creator and tries to organize its life independently from him. Read the Old Testament and see that Jerusalem was supposed to be the epicenter of God's presence in the world. All nations were supposed to be drawn to God through Jerusalem. But now in our passage, Jerusalem and its leaders have come to embody the heart and attitudes of the world. There is no more distinction between the two. So when Jesus goes into, into Jerusalem, he is indeed showing himself to the world. But it is a world turned against God that it continues to outwardly celebrate. It continues to outwardly celebrate this God, but it inwardly is turned away from him. A world that will let his name shape everything on the outside, but a world, a world that wants nothing to do with his strange, loving purpose on the inside. But if Jerusalem has just come to embody the world, then what hope is there for the world that God so loved? Listen to Zechariah chapter 8, verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples are strong, or many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts in those days, Ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This is what Jerusalem was supposed to be, a light to all the nations, calling everyone back home to God. And that is exactly who Jesus is. He is the light to all the nations, calling the world back home. Jesus embodies everything that Jerusalem was meant to be. You see, we want Jesus to bring the crowds. We want Jesus to be in or we want people to be impressed by him and want to be part of our team. That's what Jesus' brothers were thinking, pretty much. We want Jesus to bring the crowds. But Jesus' most glorious moment was the moment when the crowds hated him. And no one wanted to be associated with him as he died a shameful death on a cross. That was the world-changing moment. But what's so special about some guy dying on some cross 2,000 years ago? 
That's why we have to ask ourselves, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And why did he die? Who is Jesus? And why did he say that God so loved the world that so hated him? Who is Jesus? And why did his followers go from being scared, timid, uneducated Jews who were trying to distance themselves from their association with the recently killed Jesus to then essentially overnight being bold in proclaiming that Jesus is alive to the point that hundreds of people are believing. Who is Jesus and why are these people overnight changing their entire worldview and dying for saying that they are witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus? Who is Jesus and why are his followers going to the ends of the earth to tell everybody about him? You see, if you just ask, who is Jesus, every other question will fall into place. In chapter 1 of John, John says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's not about who you were born to. It's not about what nation you were born in. It doesn't matter the, the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where you came from, what you've done or what you've not done. Believe in Jesus, and he makes you a child of God. You see, believing in Jesus isn't about believing in a phrase, or simply believing in a doctrine. Believing in Jesus doesn't mean that you just believe that he exists. But that's what we think. We think, oh, just believe that he exists. If I say to you, If I say to you that I believe in you, I'm not just saying that I believe you exist. I'm saying that I believe in you. I'm saying that that I believe that you can accomplish your goal. I believe in the goodness inside of you. To believe in Jesus means that you look at Jesus and you believe that his love is greater than all the hate, that his faithfulness is greater than all the faithlessness the unfaithfulness, that his forgiveness is greater than all the grudges, that his grace is greater than all the sin, that his peace is greater than all the calamity in the world. The brothers of Jesus didn't believe in him yet. They didn't believe that he was going to rescue the world. But when Jesus' oldest younger brother, James, saw him risen from the grave, he finally began to believe. And all of his brothers and sisters would follow suit. There are two New Testament books written by two of Jesus' earthly brothers, the book of James and the short book of Jude. When you believe in more than just a doctrine, but you believe in Jesus himself, Everything changes, and he gives you his Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, that passage in Zechariah chapter 8 is about you too. And I encourage you to go read that passage. There are people from every nation that are being led to Jesus by those who believe, because we have become a rumor of God. We have become a rumor of God.
People from all nations are approaching Christ followers and saying, Show me to God, for I've heard a rumor that God is with you. What is the rumor going around about you? I pray that for all of us, the rumor can be, Hey, I've heard that God is with that guy. I've heard that God is with that gal. I pray that the rumor going around about us is that God is with us. I pray that you are approached by someone and they just want to know if the rumors are true. And they just want you to take them with you to God. And I pray that all we do in that situation is we take them to Jesus and we show them Jesus, for he is enough and he always will be. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out the description for any scripture references. We will be posting up soon. Youth Group Radio. Peace out. How am I gonna know you if I never show you? How am I gonna know you now? How am I gonna show you if I never know you? How am I gonna show you?